Hey, it's me, the Kentucky guy, and I want to thank you for joining this episode of the Red Pill Current News Podcast. On this episode, we'll be talking about our school system, how it all started to go downhill. Yes, yes, our public schools and private schools are just not up to measure, and it's been that way for a lot longer than a lot of people think. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and as always, thank you for listening to the Red Pill Current News Podcast. Ah, and welcome to the Red Pill Current News Podcast. I'm your host, the award-winning, the truth seeker, your truth finder, the Kentucky guy. Hope everybody's having a fantastic day today. Uh, it's a beautiful day here in the great state of Kentucky. The sun's been shining. Boys, I tell you what, you never thought that it was February. You'd think it was August. Nice it was. Well, maybe not August, maybe in May, but still, you know what I mean. It's too good out here. Too pretty to be stuck inside. Get out, enjoy the day, enjoy your life, boys. If this is your first time listening, be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button, no matter which platform you're listening to us on. We're on all major platforms now, 74 of them. iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, and the list goes on from there. We do drop new episodes here every Wednesday and Saturday. Sometimes we run a little bit late. All depends on how the research comes in from the team. But uh, we do get you two episodes a week no matter what. Sometimes you get a little bonus on special reports as well. Now, uh, if you're a wrestling fan or a sports fan, I do co-host with Donnie Cage against the Matt Wrestling Podcast. I to tell you what, a lot of stuff going on in the pro wrestling world right now. And on that show there, we talk about pro wrestling past, present, and future. We've got a pay-per-view this weekend called the Elimination Chamber. You want it? Check it out. Like I said, we drop new episodes. Our prediction show will be on Friday. And more than likely, we'll be live streaming the, uh, live streaming the uh, pay-per-view on Saturday, Elimination Chamber on YouTube, on the YouTube channel, which is Kentucky Guy, KY Guy 80, KY Guy 80. So check that out if you get a chance. All right. Also, if you'd ever like to be a guest here on the Red Pill Current News Podcast, you can always email me or if you have any questions for me at olkentucky99 at yahoo.com. That's olkentucky, spelled out, 99 at yahoo.com. All right, folks. So today I want to do something a little bit different and... Well, it's not too completely different. We, we've done it quite a bit. But I'm not really going to go over actual headlines and current events on this episode. The reason why, it's something I've been wanting to get into and been wanting to talk about for a while. It just seems like there's so much, so many things going on. And there really is. And there's still, and I know you guys hear me say this all the time, but there is still so much going on behind the scenes. There really is. That and we're, we're only going to know, and this is me included, we're only going to know maybe 25% of what actually is happening behind the scenes when everything's said and done. That's just how it is, folks. We are in a war. 
not your typical war, not a war with guns and bullets, but we are in an information propaganda for the sake of the world and our country war. If you don't believe that, I really, I feel sorry for you because you need to wake up. If you don't think we're in a war right now, and this war has everything on the line, everything, my freedom, your freedom, your kid's freedom, my kid's freedom, your grandchildren, my grandchildren. If you don't believe that, I really feel sorry for you. I really do. All you have to do, if you have any doubt in what I'm saying, all you have to do is turn on mainstream media, the news, turn it on, and tell me the last time in the last 15, 20, shoot, I'll even let you go seven or five years you have seen this country get in the shape and talk about the garbage it talks about. It's unbelievable. They're more worried about Stevie waking up and wanting to be Mary Poppins today instead of being Stevie anymore than they are about people paying high gas prices, paying a ton of money for food, and just suffering. They are not worried. Don't tell me the Democrats worry about the middle class. Don't tell me they worry about the lower class. They do not. They worry about themselves. And themselves are your 1% to 2%. Don't ever doubt it. Don't ever doubt it. Don't feel sorry for these punks. Don't act. Don't, 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 don't ever think that they need their career politicians. They're right. And don't get me wrong. There's plenty in the Republican Party that needs to go, too. There's plenty of rhinos in both parties. Don't ever. That's why I say it all the time. I don't consider myself a Democrat or a Republican. I consider myself a Christian conservative. And that's what I'm going to stay until the day I die. So there's a warfare going on. It's been going on for years, many, many years. But we are in the battle right now. And whoever wins, whoever wins, the fate of this world, Depends on it. Yes, God can overcome anything. God is in control. However, God once repented that he even made man. Do you think he's happy? You know what? Let's take it to a personal level. Is he happy with your life, the way you're living? You were created. I was created. We were all created and to give him honor and glory. So, is he happy with your walks, your talks, in this life? Is he happy how you're living your life in front of your wife, your family, your kids? If it's not pleasing to him and the majority is not pleasing to him, don't think he's just going to swoop down here and save us. He is a jealous God. He'll have no other God before him. And those are very, very serious words. And they're not my words. They're not my words. I'm not coming up with this and just giving this to you. This is out of the Bible. This is, this is what he said. So please wake up if you're not if you're not awake yet you need to you really do because time is running out on this war it really is and there's only one way we're going to win this war and that's with God's help and if he turns his eye if he turns a blind eye to us and I can't blame him the way this nation has forsaked him it's worse than Sodom and Gomorrah ever thought about being anyways this isn't <laughs> this isn't the subject that I wanted to get on today but it's true, and I'll stand behind it. It's true. What I'm going to get into is something you all might think is a little bit taboo for me to be talking about. I know my 
family right here at home. They don't like me talking about it because they're afraid I'm going to get injured. I don't care. We need to talk about it because it's serious. Today's subject I'm going to talk about as much as I can is our public, college, and private, all our school systems and how they've gone downhill here in the United States. And they really have. Not just critical race theory. This has been going on for so many years. A lot of people just don't realize it. And it's really, really sad. So today's topic is going to be our school system and where it all started to go downhill. Uh-huh. All right. So we did get a new, uh, before I get into this, we did get a new soundboard in that we're trying out for a company. Uh, we're actually going to post a unboxing video and all that stuff. They sent it to us. Uh, the company is uh, Mayano. Very, very, very quality so far. I, I like everything I see about it. The only thing is, is you got to download your own sound effects, and I can't find them loud enough <laughs> to, uh, to uh, I guess because I'm used to that other soundboard. But anyways, this has got all the bells and whistles, and if I sound a little bit different today or a little bit strange, just bear with us because I'm, I'm still adjusting it. I literally pulled it out of the box right before the, the podcast started. So here we go. So here is the main thing that started that started this all with the school system, and that is called the Great Society. In 1964, President Lyndon B. Johnson announced his Great Society proposal, which would create new welfare programs. Oh, yeah. Listen to everything that this brought in and look at your lives right now, which would create new welfare programs, expand food stamp, give birth to Medicaid and Medicare, fund the art, and more. It would also continue the departure from a nearly 200 years of American tradition and increase the federal government's involvement in local education specifically, significantly specifically. President Johnson and those who supported his program believed that greater government involvement in education, especially preschool through high school, could break the cycle of poverty for poor families. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's his tale. I said, oh, my. When the president told the American people that they must accept greater government activity in the affairs of the people, little did they know how destructive a bargain they were making in 1965. The Great Society's War on Poverty began a mass infusion of federal tax dollars and involvement into pre-K and kindergarten through 12 education. It also created a new taxpayer, underwritten student loans and grants for the public, general public, to attend college. How many of y'all still paying on student loans? Asking for a friend. Uh-huh. Since then, federal taxpayers have spent $2 trillion on K-12 education alone. To say nothing of the billions of dollars spent annually on student loans and grants. So, I went in and I got some facts and figures on this for you. So, you can kind of see where it all started, where it's all headed. Head Start has had little to no impact on parenting practices 
or the cognitive, social, emotional, and health outcomes of participants. Head Start had harmful effects on behavior and peer relations. Head Start has cost $240 billion since its inception in 1965. Uh-huh. Now, these are facts. You can go do your own research. Never believe anything I tell you, but these are facts. These aren't rumors or speculations or anything. Spending per pupil on K-12 through education has quadrupled in real terms since the 1960s. Scores on the National Assessment of Education Progress, that's the NAEP, have changed little, little since the early 1970s. The current gap in learning between students from the highest 10% and the lowest 10% of the income distribution is roughly four years of learning. The same as it was, the exact same number as it was when Johnson launched his war on poverty. See what I'm saying, folks? Nothing's changed. It wasn't, it was, it, it, it was for control. It wasn't to take anybody out of poverty. The federal government now originates and services nearly 90% of all student loans. College tuition at public universities has increased 213% since 1987. I'll read that one more time so you get it. College tuition and public universities has increased 213% since 1987. Americans hope more than $1.6 trillion in outstanding student loan debt. 44% of college graduates are now in jobs that do not require a college degree. That is shocking. 44% of college graduates are in jobs right now that do not require a college degree. Federal education programs and spending formulas that were written when Get Smart, Gunsmoke, and Green Acres led the TV ratings are not working for families today, which reruns of these shows on demand. Americans rightfully expect customization and responsiveness on the part of service providers. From hailing a ride with a smartphone to choosing how and where their children are to be educated. As the years that we are currently in, 2023 and the future approaches, Americans will still associate schooling with housing because the federal government still assigns children to schools based on their family's zip code. This arrangement has not only produced significant inequalities in education, but has left lower-income children several grade levers behind their peers in math and reading. Uh-huh. And what was his program called again? Oh, to help the poverty, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. In May of 1964, more than 90,000 students and guests gathered on the University of Michigan campus to hear newly sworn-in Lyndon Baines Johnson deliver what would be known as his Great Society speech. President Johnson began his remarks delivered at the consummate address to the student body with the imperative to eliminate racism and poverty. He went on to outline his vision for moving for moving towards the great society, which would ultimately include federal subdials for everything from Medicare and Medicaid 
to a sweeping program of education, spending, beginning with preschool, and continuing all the way through college. Yeah, how'd that work out for you? On June of 1965, ceremony for National Head Start Day, uh, front, there was, uh, these people were involved, Timothy Shiver, Robert Shiver, Danny Kay, Lady Bird Johnson, Miss Lou Morgan, Director of Head Start Project in the East Fairmont, and Sergeant Silver, Red Rooms, the White House, also Lyndon B. Johnson was there as well. On April 11, 1965, at the former Junction Elementary School near Stonewall, Texas, President Johnson sits alongside his first school teacher, Kate E. Rich Looney, as he signs into law the Elementary and Second Education Act of 1965. On June 8, 1965, he didn't waste any time. I, I hope you're getting the point of this. He didn't waste any time to get his stuff in, in going. On November 8, 1965, in the gymnasium of his alma mater, Southwest Texas State College, alongside Lady Bird Johnson. And uh, by the way, Lady Bird Johnson was his cousin. I don't know if you all know that or not, but yeah, he married his cousin, his own blood cousin, his own family. And other onlookers, President Johnson signs the Higher Education Act of 1965. So now let's look at the creation of the education programs under undergirding the Great Society push, including Head Start, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, and the Higher Education Act, putting them in historical context. And importantly, it considers what was a major shift in the very nature of federal involvement in education, a move from education financing as a means to advancing national security interests and fighting a Cold War with the Soviet Union to fighting a broad war on poverty on the domestic front, one-third of which, according to Johnson, would need to be fought in the classrooms of America. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Crazy. The product productivity decline in American public schools since the 1965 ESEA actually shows trends in spending, staffing, and most of all, decline, we're talking about, achievement. The passage, that's just amazing. The passage of 1965 Elementary and Secondary Education Act spawned an era with a tremendous increase in the involvement of the U.S. federal government in America's K-12 through public schools. Between 1964 and 17, 1976, for example, the number of pages of a federal legislation affecting K-12 through education increased from 80 pages to 360 pages. And the number of federal legislations increased from 92 uh, pages in 65 to almost 1,000 pages in 1977. Another example of increasing federal involvement in our school systems when it goes through K-12 public education system is that the federal spending on public schools and normal dollars increased almost five-fold between 1960 and 1970, from $651 million to $3.2 billion. You think schools got all that money? Do you? Uh, do you? Do you? Come on, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. The share of public school spending 
coming from the federal government increased from 4.4% to 8% over this time period. As of 2016, 8.5% of public school revenues come from federal taxpayers. The opportunity cost of federal administrative compliance burdens for states and schools. Since 1965, national policymakers have established federal election laws and programs with the overreaching goal of establishing equal opportunity in American education. Congress has enacted laws to assist children who are at risk of being denied equal access to a high-quality education, including children from low-income families, children with disabilities, American Indians, Alaska Native, children, migrate children, bilingual English language learners, foster children, and children who are homeless. While the federal government's share of the K-12 education funding remains less than 10%, 3.35 uh, decades of bipartisan federal education policy shows substantial national interest in promoting equal opportunity by enabling all children to gain high-quality education. Yeah, so if you've spent billions of dollars now, why isn't everybody getting the same treatment? Asking for a friend. Why? While there is some small movement up and down over time, the remarkable aspect is that reading and math performance in 2012 looks virtually unchanged from four decades before. Over this time, it is true that the performance of a 9-year-old and a 13-year-old has improved, but improvements at earlier ages simply have not carried through to the time when the students leave school for college and work. This performance would not be a large problem if students were doing extraordinarily well throughout this period. Unfortunately, this is not the case. There are external benchmarkers provided by international testing. The PIAS results place the U.S. below the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development average in math for 2015, just bearing out Greece and following below Italy and Spain. And why is that? Why, 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 do they, why aren't they working harder to educate our kids? Why aren't our kids being educated like these other countries? Oh, that's right. That's right. The race theory, right? That's what they want. Yeah, they, they, they want to say how bad America is, how good everyone else is. Cause we're bad because we had slaves, but China's good. China's good, real good. Yeah. Folks, if you got your kids in public schools, you better, if you don't have your eyes across their shoulders watching every move they make, you need to be ashamed of yourself and you need to jerk them out of that school and find out what they're learning. I promise you, you're not going to be happy. The early 1960s were a time of national debt about poverty in America. A widely read 13,000-word essay by leftist writer Dwight MacDonald in the New Yorker in January of 63 popularized the 1962 book The Other America, Poverty in the United States, which purportedly laid the groundwork for the war on poverty. On the hills of J.K. Galbraith's 1958, The Affluent Society, which contended that poverty in America was no longer a massive affliction, but more 
Nearly as an afterthought, socialist author Michael Harrington had penned The Other America, arguing the opposite, that massive poverty was still a reality in America at this time, and its obtainment was not moving as quickly as some who had thought. So to promote his War on Poverty initiative, President Johnson toured six poverty-stricken Appalachian states, including in a visit on May 1964 to the home of tenant foreman William David Marlowe near Rocky Mount, North Carolina. The state of poverty in mid-century America had been a concern for President John F. Kennedy, who reportedly crafted his anti-poverty agenda after reading Harrington's commentary. Walter Heller, chairman of President Kennedy's Council of Economic Advisors from 61 to 64, became instrumental in carrying forward President Kennedy's anti-poverty efforts in the wake of his assassination in November of 1963. Heller briefed Lyndon Johnson on the plan that would eventually become the Economic Opportunity Act of 1964, which included Job Corps and education and training programs, including Project Head Start, the focus that we first started talking about at the beginning of this episode. The effectiveness of pre-K is important for establishing priorities for federal and state budgets, given the intense competition for taxpayer-funded programs and critical importance of these developing years to children's future. Programs that are not effective in attaining their objective must give away to programs that are. This review places major emphasis on recent research and other writings, particularly those following the 2012 publication of the third grade follow-up of Head Start Impact Study and a review of related resources by the same author. The first year of life affected human emotional, physical, and physiological development for a lifetime. Everyone wants children well cared for during these early years so they are well adjusted, prepared to learn when they arrive at school and can grow up to be healthy, functional, productive members of society. In hopes of achieving this worthy goal and in an effort to support working parents, state and federal policymakers have offered or subsidized early learning opportunities and child care centers. As described earlier in this episode, governmental preschools and daycare inventors have yielded disappointing results. Positive impacts tend to be limited to children from disadvantaged backgrounds. Even then, those positive effects tend to fade. Yeah, preschool's, preschool's not, not working. They're not teaching the right stuff in there as well. The achievement gap in the United States is as wide today as it ever was in 1971. The performance on math, reading, and science tests between the most advantaged and the most disadvantaged difference differs by approximately four years worth of learning. Four years worth of learning. That has remained essentially unchanged for nearly half a century. So like I mentioned in 64, President Lyndon Johnson announced a war on poverty in which the nation's education system was expected to play the central role. However, since 1980, the federal government has spent almost $500 billion in 2017 on compulsory education directed directed towards school districts with large concentrations of low-income students. 
another $250 billion has been spent on Head Start programs for low-income preschoolers. Meanwhile, courts have ordered states to equalize funding levels across school districts, thereby shifting still more government resources towards the needs of the social economically disadvantaged. Overall, school spending has tripled over this time period, yet none of these efforts have offered the size of the socioeconomic status achievement gap whatsoever. Hasn't worked. Not working. Still not working. Still not working. Hey, you guys remember uh, Einstein's definition of insanity? Keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result? Yeah, this sounds a little insane to me. What say you all? Why, why, why is the American education system failing to improve when so many other sectors have seen tremendous increases in productivity over the half last half century? That's my question. And as with any complex system, there are numerous contributing factors. But perhaps the most salient that I've found, these is the structure of the public education system itself. It needs to change. So in the United States today, the vast majority of K-12 through students attend a government-run school to which they are assigned based on where they live. Because admissions to these district schools is offered at no charge except for taxes. Don't forget about that. You're still paying. You're still paying. You didn't have this school tax back before this act. Don't forget about that. And indeed is an entitlement for eligible residents. Most would be, most would be competition is crowded out, leading to nearly monopoly provision of K through 12 education. Several unfortunate features of this near-monopoly system completed the fostering of innovation and excellence. I agree with that statement 100%. The content of K-12 education is mindful for conservatives over the past 30 years. Education reforms who want parents to have choices for their children have to have to have tended to focus more on the creation of new public charter schools or on private schools, scholarships, then on curriculum and classroom content that place their faith in school choice and the maker to create demand for a rich, well-rounded education. Let's parents choose and market provide and may be the best curriculum to win. Something the faith is largely misplaced. Nearly all, 90%, of K-12 through students in the U.S. attend the public schools to which they are assigned based on their zip code. Parents and policymakers should also not assume that the school of choice are automatically more sophisticated about uh, current content. Some are way more not. Uh, there is a feasible price to be paid for their recollection to engage on the foundation question of what the $45 million public school children across the country should know and leaving it to chance on a whim. Doing so, risk is abandoning the next generation to a semi-literacy, and we're already seeing that, and therefore less full citizenship. The content delivered in classrooms across the country is a matter that conservatives should not abandon to the left. And boy, I've been saying that forever. 
And that's where we're going to end today's episode. But yes, we cannot step away. We cannot let the left continue to run our education system. It's been going on too long. Too long. Homeschool your children. Get them out. I'm telling you, I'm not being overdramatic. The things I've seen when we had the COVID lockdown and kids were home with my own daughter, if she was in, thank God she's not in public school anymore. She's in college now. But if she was still going to a public school, she would be homeschooled every day. Every day. Do not let them put this stuff, this crap, in your kids' heads. All right, folks. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. You've been listening to the Red Pill Current News Podcast. Oh, with your host, the Kentucky Guy. And as always, God bless and God bless America.